Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Hi, Michelle Martin. Good morning. Joining me to break down all the market action this morning. How you doing, Ryan Huang? Pretty good, Michelle. Happy hump day. Hey, is it Wednesday? Feels like Monday. Yeah, just two more days to go for the work week for most of us. And then we've got a nice break next week, a shorter working week as well. Always the optimist. You know what this means? We're into the last two weeks of the year. Wow. Two weeks of the year, and then we are into 2024. (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) I am, like it or not, here I come, 2024. All right, let's kick this Wednesday morning off in the world of corporate earnings and acquisitions. I want to take a look at three companies from very different sectors and ask, what do their results say about the state of the economy and investing? Now, with the holidays approaching, it seems apt that the first company on our radar this morning is responsible for ensuring packages arrive on time. I think you know which one I'm talking about. The second business is in luxury goods and our third focuses on IT services and consulting. I think our three stocks to watch this morning are FedEx, Kupang and Accenture. So let me start with FedEx. Love it when their packages come to my home, but its performance and sales projections shed light, I think, on consumer purchases. And it recently released results after the closing bell on Wall Street this morning. So what is the verdict? How's FedEx doing? Yeah, FedEx is one of those companies that will give you a glimpse into what's going on with the global economy because if you've got less parcels, less deliveries, it's a reflection of business activity being reduced. And that is what's happening right now. FedEx is cutting back on its forecast for next year's revenue because of weaker demand that's been hitting sales. So it's expecting a low single-digit decline in revenue for the next fiscal year or this fiscal year. And this is down from a previous forecast for flat sales. So already this is the second time it has lowered its forecast. And now we've got analysts looking at a revenue drop of less than 1% in the current fiscal year. So not a lot of optimism for FedEx. Indeed, not a lot of optimism. Shares of FedEx down more than 9% in after-hours trade. Investors are selling off UPS's shares as well, but not by as much. They're down 3%. Next up, let's look at the luxury goods scene. South Korea's online retailer Kupang is acquiring the beleaguered luxury platform Farfetch for about half a billion US dollars. There was a time when Farfetch dominated luxury fashion. More recently, though, the London-based online retailer has teetered on the brink of bankruptcy. Why exactly has Farfetch struggled, Ryan? Yeah, a couple of things. And you've got a string of high-risk investments, a slowdown in the global luxury market, and I suppose just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that's been weighing on many luxury brands, especially in the e-commerce space. So Farfetch among them, just being weighed down by spiraling costs, debt, and this is now actually seeing its market value of around $200 million. So the price tag for the acquisition is $500 million. So you can imagine the premium that's being priced in, the debt that's behind the scenes as well. So, well, it's going to be a tough one to turn around. As we mentioned, Kupang will pay half a billion US dollars for Farfetch and that provides the company with a much-needed lifeline. So what do you make of this rule? Kupang, not exactly a luxury player, right? Yeah, a tough one to swallow for me because this was a company, Farfetch, which once was valued at 23 
billion dollars. Now it's only half a billion. Mm. And on top of that, you've got e-commerce space in luxury, especially just going through some tough times. So it's a tough turnaround mission for Kupang. And mm. I point out, Kupang does get a bit of a leg in to the luxury space, but a few question marks if they can pull it off. So I am going to be a bit cautious about how this is going to play out because the wider luxury industry is still going through some tough times. So it might be in for a tough journey. Indeed. The vision of Jose Neves, a 49-year-old Portuguese entrepreneur now struggling with debt. Appear, uh, it appears that investors like this deal, though. Shares of Kupang, which is like South Korea's uh, version of Amazon, finished up nearly 2% overnight. Next up, let's look at the management consulting firm Accenture. Now, while Accenture's earnings have come in above expectations, its revenue outlook less than stellar. Look at that. Accenture shares finishing down 1.4% overnight. But what has really captured investor attention is what the head of the IT consulting firm has to say about AI. Essentially, their businesses are not prepared. Yeah, not prepared. And you might be surprised because we've been talking about AI for quite some time. And you might imagine most companies would be getting ready to embrace the future of AI. Well, not so, according to the CEO of Accenture, Julie Sweet. So she is warning that many companies are still not adequately prepared for this future of generative AI, especially if you want to scale it up. And a couple of problems or obstacles she's outlined here. One is that the majority of companies lack what's called mature data capabilities, being able to organize it being able to feed it accurately to the AI machine and being able to store it properly. All these issues that are going to be important for you to effectively and efficiently leverage AI. And then you've got the other concerns around the ethics and also data protection and customer data rights as well. So you've got all these, all these issues that have yet to be resolved hmm. and many companies according to her, have not gone on that journey to figure out what needs to be done to capitalize on AI. You need to figure out all these fundamentals before you can really let it take off. That's a great overview. So Essential CEO Julie Sweet essentially arguing companies need a more robust data infrastructure and greater safety controls before they adopt AI more widely. That said, companies of all sorts, big and small these days, are using chatbots, sometimes at their own peril. I have struggled with PayPal in recent times. Um, I, and I think we're seeing innovative use of AI like banks and how banks are using the technology to detect fraud. So really great on some fronts, not so much on the others. What are some areas that you think are ripe for AI adoption? Maybe in 2024, Ryan? Yeah, if I look at what's playing out in the economy these days, everyone is trying to do their bit to cut costs. So I suspect that is what they might be focused on, figuring out ways to well, replace people to some extent, um, like the routine stuff at least. How can AI do more things like you mentioned, fraud detection, going through the data points, Excel sheets, you know, finding patterns like mm. fraud, finding patterns for them to leverage in terms of customer uh, spending patterns as well. Uh, maybe some trading activities. So AI could do all these things. The more, I suppose, mundane stuff as well, customer service relations, maybe being able to feed you the answers you might want instead of having to stay on the call for 30 minutes before someone attends to you. Maybe the AI chatbot could 
decide or figure out what you might want to ask before you even know it. So mm. those areas might be helping on the productivity front. I think leave customer service to humans. I love it when I meet an actual thinking human on the other end ah, with a brain. Would you prefer to have that at the expense of a 30-minute wait or would you prefer to chat an AI bot after five minutes? Um, I would rather wait and speak to someone who can solve my problem than an AI chatbot that I spend 35 minutes with who cannot figure out my question and just gives me a, a menu of, you know, stuff that is irrelevant to We've my We've all query. been through that. It can be quite frustrating. PayPal. PayPal, so bad. All right, PayPal, get in contact with Michelle. <laughs> oh, I will sell my shares. Next up, tensions in the Middle East and their impact on shipping. Now, yesterday on the show, I shared how companies like BP have stopped sending their ships through the Suez Canal because of safety concerns. This follows on the heels of drone attacks over the weekend in the Red Sea by Houthi rebels. Now, Maersk has become the latest shipping line to send its ships around the African continent rather than go through the much shorter Suez Canal. There is another the risk that the ships are going to be facing as they travel along the east coast of Africa. Aye, aye. What is it, Ryan? Aye, aye, indeed. <laughs> well, um, just to paint you that picture, right? So right now, folks, most folks doing shipping will cut through the African continent with the Suez Canal. But without that option, with the concerns around piracy, they are they have to go around the African continent, adding a lot of days, adding a lot of costs. And now they might just face pirates elsewhere as well. So I think that's going to be something they'll be having to deal with. All these cost issues, all these security issues will be something they have to grapple with and it might translate to higher costs for you and me. Oh, I hope not. I looked up the numbers. If we go back 12 years to 2011, there were more than 200 pirate attacks off the coast of Somalia. International action stopped the pirates. There were only two confirmed hijackings between 2013 and this year. However, with an attack by Somali pirates off the Yemeni coast just this past weekend and more ships set to travel along the east coasts of Africa because ships are trying to avoid the Suez Canal, there are concerns that piracy could be a force to reckon with again. Still, the threat of attacks in the Red Sea is just currently too great um, to risk. So do we have an indication of just how much cargo has already been diverted from the Suez Canal? All right, going by some indications from MDS, so they've estimated that it has already chalked up more than $30 billion worth of goods already diverted. So that's something you chew on. And mm -hmm. if you look at the the expense or the implications, um, extra 14 days, and this is an extra 30% more time to take on that journey. And then of course, it might add at least 15% because of the longer journey, of course, and the fuel costs. So it is going to mean companies have to buff for more time and figure out how much you want to gamble on whether things turn around. Wow, here's where those diversified supply chains come into play now. The Middle East is not only the the only bottom, bottleneck affecting global shipping. A lack of rain has caused the Panama Canal Authority to reduce the number of ships that can pass through that waterway. And that's actually prompted some companies that are shipping goods from Asia to the US to send 
ships via the Suez Canal instead. However, now these goods are going to be delayed even longer because ships need to travel around the coast of Africa and the Cape of Good Hope. Let's take a look at U.S. markets now. The S&P 500, Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Nasdaq all finish up about 0.6% or more. Overnight, the S&P 500 is now trading within 1% of a record high. It is time to look for corporate news and we do it up or down style. It's our daily game show. How's UBS looking? All right, looking pretty good. And you've got an activist investor, Sivian Capital. They've taken a 1.3% stake in UBS. Mm. And guess what? They are thinking it is going to be able to double in value. So looking quite optimistic on UBS's fortunes and a bit of a vote for confidence that's lifting the stock right now. Yeah, that's a big investment. 1.2 billion euros. Uh, Sweden's Kevian Capital investing in UBS and uh, Sevian Capital officials are pretty confident that it's going to reap rewards. In fact, they think UBS should be worth as much as Morgan Stanley and that UBS's share price should be able to double. That is definitely an up for UBS in my books too, Ryan. Next up, I don't know if you're a drinker. How's Japanese whiskey looking? Mm, I love my whiskey and Japanese mm. whiskeys are quite different. They've got a different profile and they've been capturing the attention of many connoisseurs. So much so that recent auctions have priced them at some of the highest prices in recent times. So I'm going with an up for Japanese whiskey. Okay, um... We differ there. Bad news for Japanese whiskey fans, I think, because Asahi, which makes the Nika brand of whiskey, which I love, by the way, says it's going to raise prices by as much as 60%. And Santori, which I also love, by the way, plans to more than double the price of its popular 30-year-old Hibiki and 25-year-old Yamazaki whiskey. So strong demand and rising costs be- behind the price hikes, which should not stop anybody out there. Who wants to buy me whiskey for Christmas? Okay. Uh, let's look at the Japanese yen. All right. Japanese yen has been a bit of a ride in recent times. And it's been pretty much going around the Bank of Japan meeting. So before the meeting, there are expectations that we could see some normalization of policy. That did not happen yesterday. So that instead was a bit of a different signal that things would not change. Mm. And that led to some disappointment in markets and the yen going back to weaken again. So if you look at what's playing out for the dollar, it actually weakened against all of its G10 currencies except the yen. So looking at the yen, that is now trading at about 144 for the dollar yen cross and perhaps more no, I guess room for downside in the coming year. Yeah, the Bank of Japan staying the course with easy monetary policy that stands in sharp contrast, of course, to high interest rates in the US and Europe. The Bank of Japan decided yesterday unanimously to keep interest rates at minus 0.1%. Conceivably, good news for borrowers, but bad news for the yen, which weakened on the news. A note to Japanese whiskey drinkers, don't get your hopes up. The yen's depreciation will not come close to offsetting those higher prices being charged by Asahi and Mm. Santori. Okay, let's look at EC World Read, Ryan. All right, EC World Read mm-hmm. is, and up for me, is in the news because it has secured renewal for one of two leases from China Tobacco. So that's going to be good news as it tries to lock in 
its revenues for the coming years. That's true, isn't it? China Tobacco is at least signed that agreement to renew a warehouse lease in Hangzhou. So I will join you there, give EC World Read a tentative up. China Tobacco, by the way, scaling back the size of its warehouse space. That's why. Let's check in on local markets now. The Straits Times Index tested support once more at the 3100 level before closing marginally higher at 3116. Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, the best performing blue chip, it finished up almost 1%. On the other side of the table, City Developments was the worst performing STI constituent. It fell 1.5%. All right, coming up, we talked about whether or not companies um, were prepared for AI. Coming up, are you prepared for the next change in the internet? You've heard about Web3, what's hype and what's not. I'm going to find out at 10.05. Stay with me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.